0: Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, today on the podcast, we have part two in our series, Life Connected, in which we're looking at some of our values and our philosophy of ministry, the distinctives of North Shore Vineyard Church mentioned last week that this kind of functions as our membership class, though we're trying to redefine membership more in terms of uh, a journey together. So we're inviting people to consider these things and consider joining us on this journey for this next year. Uh, there's more about that in the message. Also this week we have Relate, our couples course, starting off on Wednesday night. And we got a worship night coming up uh, in about two weeks. So check it all out at northshorevineyard.org. But now let's head to 525 East Boston Street, North Shore Vineyard Church. Thanks for listening. We're in. We started a, 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 a series of messages last week in which I kind of said it, it's going to be like our membership class. A lot of folks uh, who come to our church have asked me, "How do you become a member of North Shore Vineyard?" And I've never had a very good answer. I'm like, "Well, just show up," and uh, and uh, and and I kind of. Shared last week some of my struggles with the typical approach to a membership class because, number one, it it seems to benefit the organization of a church a lot more than it benefits the actual people. In other words, it seems like a formality for a lot of people like, oh, I'm coming to church, I better sign up, go through this formality and say I'm a member. Um... But it seems to benefit the organization. The church can see, oh, we've got so-and-so people on our rolls. Maybe some pastors can go around and talk about, hey, we've got this many people uh, that are members at our church. Only 10% of them show up. But uh, we've been running the books for 40 years, and we've got all these people who are members. Uh, Maybe for an organization, it helps them see who's going to be giving, who's going to be serving. So you can do budgets and stuff like that. Uh, that, that. That can be helpful. But I, I, I mentioned how I've struggled with this because it just doesn't seem like the typical approach to membership kind of classes and stuff really has any ongoing impact in the life of people in the church. It's just something you do. But, and so I proposed a different way of approaching this. To Instead of uh, using membership, what I'm asking you folks to do is join us on, to, to consider signing up for a journey for this next year and and so the the next few weeks we're, we're kind of covering different core values in our philosophy of membership uh, philosophy of mem- ministry at this church and so at the end of the next few weeks the, if you say yes you know i feel like i i value these things uh, then we're just asking you to to think about committing to one year with us and and why do I, I say that? Because I think it's good, I think it's helpful in in, in our world to actually say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to doing this, and, and I'm, I'm okay with committing. Committing, I know it's a bad word sometimes. Some people are scared of that. Uh, but we're only asking for one year. You get to the end of this year, it wasn't your thing, then great. But I, I'm hoping that if we all commit to do this together, that that at the end of the year we can look back and we can see how God has, has really uh, brought us through some things so last week I kind of talked about the idea and really I, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to the to the you know all these things are kind of work together so if you weren't here last week go check out the message uh, from last weekend but I talked about how Jesus in, in John 15 says I'm the vine you are the branches you're if you're connected to me you're gonna bear fruit so the 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 grounding of this the the philosophy, the, the theology that grounds this whole series is that not a transactional reality where we're just jumping through a bunch of hoops to make God happy, rather we're trying to step into a relational reality where we're connected with Jesus and, and knowing that if we're connected with Jesus, we're going to bear fruit. So today I want to kind of turn to a, a different aspect of the faith. You see some strange things in Louisiana, Right? When I first moved here years ago, I remember listening to WWL radio, and I heard them advertising uh, Nutria sausage at a Winn-Dixie. Did anybody try that? (laughs) If I hadn't seen a Nutria, I might have tried it. Uh, (laughs) But one of the strange things I encountered when I first moved to Louisiana, I was driving out west, uh, you know, past Baton Rouge, about to get on the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge, and there's some little area, I don't know, Gross Teet or something, that uh, they, have, uh, they advertise the Tiger Truck Stop. Anybody seen the Tiger Truck Stop? It says live tigers and a truck stop. It makes perfect sense, right? Because when you're going to, if you're thinking of, I need to build a, a truck stop in the swamps. Let's see, I need a, like a convenience store, diesel, gas pumps. Live tigers. Bear. Beer. <laughs> because <Beer. laughs> it's what you do. It's what you do when you open up a, a, a truck stop. You've got to make sure you've got the live tigers there. Uh, I, I remember pulling off the road to look at this this strange oddity one time, and I'm like, wow, uh, we got a picture of it up there. Yeah, it, it's, it's really a dumpy little... Truck stop. Truck stop is like a glorified name for what it is. It's kind of like this run down shack. You can see like the letters were hand painted on there. They're not even uh, (laughs) they didn't even use a stencil. And uh, so you've got this kind of run down looking little truck stop that has some gas pumps. And then you've got this tiger cage and you can go up and look at Tony the tiger, who is the uh, current resident there. And, you know, when you look at this Tiger, it's, it, you can't help but feel a little sad. Like, wow, this is like tiger hell. You know, a truck stop in Louisiana. <laughs> in the swamps. <laughs> it's like where they send bad tigers, you know. Uh, and you look at this tiger and he looks kind of depressed, right? He looks kind of bored. It's not that he's not alive. He's technically alive. He's got uh, shelter He's got people who feed him three meals a day. But he's, he's not thriving, is he? He's just kind of, eh. Now, the same thing goes for lions. If you've ever seen a lion in the zoo, they kind of look bored or uh, hungry when they're looking at you, right? <laughs> now, if you were to see a lion in its natural habitat, like the jungles of India, oh, that, that's, a, that's a tiger there. Do I have a picture of a liger? <laughs> Bred for their skills and magic. Look at that dude. How would you like to be just kind of walking through the jungles and you looked over and saw that? The reality is, you're not going to see a tiger in the jungle until you're in its mouth. <laughs> now, I want to show this other picture of a, of a, of a lion. Dude, that's majestic, huh? If you see a lion out on the savannas of Africa, the Serengeti, it's a completely different creature than what you see in the Audubon Zoo. This, this lion, he doesn't look like he's anxious, does he? He kind of looks like, I'm the top of the food chain, and I'm out here in the open, he's not hiding behind a ride. This is an animal that is thriving. Why is it thriving? Because it has... Shelter, food? Well, no, it's got those things. It's in its natural habitat. That lion is in the place that was intended for lions. And I I find that one of the big parts of thriving in the Christian life, I know so many Christians, I might even say most Christians, are alive, but they're not thriving. Why? Why? Because there's little regard to the context of their life. They're, they're, li- they're trying to live a Christian life apart from the natural habitat that we were created for. So if you're living apart from your natural habitat, you can have all the Bible study you want. You can know all the things about doctrine. You can serve. You can do all these things. But if, if you're not in your natural habitat, it's just going to be like a, a, a tiger at a truck stop who is getting fed three meals a day, who has shelter, alive, but not thriving. And I believe God wants us to thrive, to, 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 to join into this Christian life. The truth is, if you, are, if you get the context right, if you got your natural habitat right, then things like praying, reading your Bible, all that stuff, it, it, it'll do a whole lot more for you. But if you don't get the context for your life right, if you're not in your natural habitat, then it doesn't matter how much of that stuff you do, you're not going to thrive as a follower of Christ. So, what is the natural context for the Christian life? Well, we're going to look today at, at, at a church that kind of missed it in the New Testament. A church that wasn't living in their natural habitat. But I'll tell you this. The natural habitat for the Christian life is community. It's relationships with one another. You know, when I first got saved, I, I thought that it was just me and God. We live in a very individualistic culture, don't we? And, and the evangelical church encourages you to make a personal decision for christ right and then you need to have a personal relationship with god and i believe that i believe all of us need to do that but i never heard anything really for years probably the first 10 or 12 years that i was a christian about the need to have other people in my life to not just read my bible by myself but to read my bible with other people to not just worship by myself but to worship with other people to have folks in my life and so my first couple of years i was i was like the lone ranger it was me and god and, that, and that's, kind of, that's kind of enticing, isn't it, right? It would be so much easier to follow Jesus if it wasn't for people, right? If I didn't have to be around you guys, I could have a pretty good day, you know? I, I think a lot of us have, have probably... I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think the idea of kind of becoming a hermit and, and living by yourself, that appeals to me sometimes. I'm like, oh yes, just me and God getting up, worshiping, praying somehow God's invited us to live in this world with with people. And really, the thriving in my spiritual life didn't come until I began to step out of this me and God mentality and began to do my relationship with other people. And i got to tell you, there's benefits, but there's also some really hard things that come when you try to live your faith with other people. Can I get an amen? can't say amen, you haven't done that before. Uh, So today we're going to look at uh, a lot of the the book of 1 Corinthians today. So we're going to look first of all at this church, the the church of Corinth as we can kind of see it. It's a church that I think if you showed up there on the weekend, it would have been charismatic, crazy. I mean, from what Paul is talking about, it's like people speaking in tongues and prophesying everywhere. When they're having communion service, people are getting drunk and people are eating. I mean, it's just like wild party for Jesus. <laughs> but in sp- yeah, I want to go to that church. <laughs> But in spite of all their spiritual gifts and all the things that they were doing, Paul says, you're missing the context. You're not living in your natural habitat because there's all these barriers in, in the body of Christ. There's all these the, these barriers to relationships with one another. You're, the, the body of Christ is divided. And so Paul is going to make the point that until you get that part right, you don't need to worry about this other stuff. And we're going to look at that today. So the... The first thing I want to look at is, and we're, this is basically a survey of Corinthians. We're looking through, the, through about the whole book of 1 Corinthians. Lots of scripture today. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 16. This is a letter, by the way, that Paul wrote to, uh, to the church. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, but, but on this idea of an individual, individualistic mentality with God, there's a word we use down here in the South called y'all, right? Y'all, it's perfectly normal. People make fun of me in other places. But I I really wish, if if somebody had asked me for a translation of the Bible, I'd put y'all in there. (laughs) Because do you realize that 95% of the words that that says you, that that is used in the New Testament, it's not talking about you as an individual, it's talking about y'all. But see, that's our problem in English. We got one word that, that can be you as an individual or all of you. And what happens when you grow up in a very individualized culture is when you get out the Bible and it says you are the temple of God, you think, "Oh, I'm the temple of God. I better start working out more and uh, better start eating right. Got a temple to maintain here, right?" But most of the time, when Paul's saying you are the temple, he's saying not you, Wanda, but all of you. All of you together are the dwelling place of God, and that kind of brings it into a whole different context, right? Well, we're going to look more into that today. Okay, here we go. First Corinthians chapter one, verse ten. Paul writes to the church. He says, "I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united." in mind, and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus. That's my name in Greek, by the way. It's in the Bible. And Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I emptied of its power. The first barrier that we see Paul address in the Corinthians church is is the barrier of pride. I remember years ago, I used to be a part of a church where I thought we had the market cornered on truth. Like, we're the ones who got this. We, we, we figured it out. Those Baptists, those Pentecostals over there, those Methodists, Catholics, they got it all wrong. We're, we're the ones who, who Jesus totally endorses our doctrine. Right? Jesus is coming back for us. We're not sure about the rest of you. You might get in because you know us. <laughs> But we got this thing figured out. And I tell you, the arrogance that I had. You ever, have you ever had that in your life? I mean, some of y'all. Yeah, yeah. Looking down my nose at other groups of people. Oh, poor poor people. Poor, poor people that don't know the whole gospel. Well, that, that phenomenon is, is not too different from today. You know, it's It's interesting. In my, if you come to my house and see my library, uh, I read books written now by Pentecostals, Catholics, Greek Orthodox, Anglican, Methodist. I realize everybody can see a little bit different uh, part of God's truth. And I want to I try to see things from their angle. But Paul is saying, and, and the church in Corinth, he said, you're, you're all divided. Some of y'all are saying, I'm in the Peter club. Peter was the one, the rock. You know, Jesus said, you're the rock on whom I'm going to build the church. So we, we follow Peter because we're, we're on the rock. <laughs> we're the church that Jesus built. We're that one. That, that's us. And then some other people were like, Peter. Forget Peter, man. Have you heard this new guy, Paul? Man, he was a terrorist, and, and he had this radical encounter with Jesus, and he's like writing the Bible right now. Like, he's writing the New Testament books. Every, He's prolific. We're following that guy. And then there's this other guy, Apollos. Apollos was known for his oratory skills. He could preach it down. Paul wasn't known for being a great preacher, from what we can tell. He put people to sleep sometimes, and uh, but but Apollos, man, we follow Apollos. Have you heard the way he can preach a message? Oh, he's got skills. And then there were other people that were like, oh well, we're just in the Jesus church, you know. And uh, and Paul is saying, why do you need to divide all that stuff? Your, 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 your pride, your own arrogance. You, I, I think the I, I heard this illustration the other day. You ever seen one of those beach balls that has kind of stripes on it? Um. It's as if we're all on a different part of the beach ball, right? My part of the beach ball is blue. And so when I look around at God and His Word, all I see is blue. And so I say, this is a blue beach ball. But then there may be somebody on the other side who's on a red stripe. And they're, no, it's all red. But see, we're all on this beach ball together, there are times at life when different things from the Bible meet me in a different way. And the temptation is to say, this is it. This is the whole thing. What I've learned over the years, though, is there's, the truth is a lot bigger than I can uh, <laughs> boil it down to. Paul says the number one barrier in the, in the Corinthian church to, to relationship with one another was pride. They were dividing themselves into groups. Second, 1 Corinthians 3, 3-8. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for there is, where, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all... Is Apollos, after all, who is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each the task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is in anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they each will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. Again, that word you, all of y'all. Y'all are God's field. Y'all are God's building. Second second barrier we see is jealousy and quarreling. Paul is saying you're, you're, you're quarreling with each other. He's like, I would love to be able to go into the deep things of God with you, but I have to show up with Gerber baby food. Because you can't handle the truth. You're still you're still trapped in all this jealousy, acting like the world. Paul's basically saying there's no contrast between you and the people outside these walls. You're just acting the same. You know, acting jealous and prideful, that kind of comes natural in our world, doesn't it? Like the, the world we live in, it's like people just naturally act like that. Paul's saying as, as long as you're acting like that, we can't go into anything deeper because... You're not ready for it. You'll choke on it. So the second one is jealousy and quarreling. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-6, through six, he says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you, know, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those uh, whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? The third barrier that Paul talks about in relationship is, that is, is not dealing with conflict the right way. Dealing with conflict the wrong way. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, man, if you've got disputes with one another, don't take it to, to folks out there who don't believe in God. Don't Why? Because you're making a mockery of Jesus. If, if, if Jesus truly is the king, you're not living like you're in submission to him. Right? He doesn't look like he's Lord. So you are bringing scorn on the name of Jesus if people see that... that, that Folks in the church are suing one another. They're going to be like, I don't want some of that. (laughs) You know, the truth is, following Jesus, you're going to have conflict. I have to admit, I've had conflict with some people in this church over the past year. And we're still here together. Because conflict's a part of it. You know, when I first got married, I thought I knew everything about marriage. I really did. I listened to James Dobson and uh, Family Life Today. I read a book by Gary Smalley. I thought, I got this. How hard can this be? Poor guy. It it, it, it took me uh, very... It didn't, didn't take me long to, to realize I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Actually, that first year of marriage... I was faced with uh, confronting the illusions about myself. See, reality was, I wasn't as loving or as patient or as kind as I thought I was. And God actually used our marriage commitment to squeeze that stuff to the surface. Have you ever found that? Like, you don't think you have any problems, then you get in a relationship with people, and all of a sudden, like, stuff starts coming to the surface. Where is that coming from? You! <laughs> it's in there. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing when these things come to the surface because God wants to deal with them. I can tell you, I I made no progress, uh, very little progress uh, in in the years before I got married in my spiritual walk with God. I mean, I loved worshiping. I loved going to church. I love going to revivals. I love the feeling, all that. But All of a sudden, you put me in in close proximity, in a committed relationship. It's like, oh, this doesn't feel like God at all. It it was so much easier when I was single. (laughs) Was it because it wasn't God's will? No. God was using the context of relationship to bring up stuff in my heart that was there because he wants to make me look more like Jesus. He does. So it's a good thing. So the Corinthian church, they weren't dealing with conflict in an appropriate way. They weren't walking through this together and Paul says look if you're having problems with another find somebody in your church there's surely there's somebody who can mediate between y'all don't take it out don't leave deal with conflict in a good way 1 Corinthians 12 Paul uses the analogy of a body he says um says the eye cannot say to the hand I don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet I don't need you on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and those parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment but God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you, y'all, y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. The fourth barrier to... And, and, and there's actually some more barriers that Paul goes into. I just figured we couldn't go through the whole book of 1 Corinthians today. But you can go through it. There's stuff about dietary things and stuff in there too. Um... The fourth barrier is not accepting your place in the body of Christ. This is kind of what Al talked about two weeks ago. Uh, Al talked about how he was a toenail for a while. A good toenail. <laughs> Toenails necessary. But how when it came to fixing up this building, he he was he was painting the the, the molding underneath the toilet. Toenail work, right? There was other people that 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 were installing electrical stuff, building out rooms, laying carpet, but Al wasn't on that team. That wasn't his gifting, nor mine. I tried. Part of our problem in the body of Christ is not accepting the part of the body that God's called us to be. I wish I was an I, man. I want to be an I. I want to be up front. Or maybe you're looking at yourself and it's 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 not, it's shame. I wish I I just feel like I I I wish I could be up there in front of people and talking and stuff. We all have a part to play. I feel like God's called me and gifted me to be a pastor, and and gifted me in the areas of leading worship and 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 talking. Now that that may be debatable to some of y'all. I I feel like that's kind of where I'm at. Poor guy. (laughs) But there's other areas when it comes to like finances and administration. Oh, my goodness. You don't want me to do that stuff. It's bad. The little bit I've done. I mean, they're trying to, you know, take care of some of that right now. (laughs) We got to find the place of the body that we're called to and embrace it. And so if your work is behind the scenes or, or, you know, that's okay. I love that we have people who are called to children's ministry. Now, we ask everybody who has a kid to, to work back in children's ministry because we believe in a way, if God's given you a kid, all of you are called to, to love kids a bit. But there are some people who have a special gift. You know, I look at my wife, Dina. She, she, she cares about kids. She loves kids. She just, I love loving on babies. She, every time we go anywhere, she wants to hold a baby. I'm like, that's okay. You can give them back at least. <laughs> Nick, he's passionate about kids as well. He, he develops curriculum for churches all around the United States to, to help preteens uh, encounter God. Paulette, Marsha, all the people that work back there, they love kids. They're not just doing it because it's, you know, they couldn't find something else. They're gifted. They're called to do it. And I thank God we got gifted, called people doing that. Yes. <laughs> so we've got to find our place in the body of Christ. Now, I want to, I want to read the last uh, one, one or second to last passage. Out of that, Paul goes into the most famous chapter probably in 1 Corinthians, which is 1 Corinthians 13. And you know, uh, when I've done many weddings, one of my favorite passages to read is 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of y'all have heard of that, the love chapter. But when you look at the love chapter in context of everything Paul's been covering up to this point, it kind of changes the meaning a little bit. Here's the love chapter. He says in, in verse 12, he ends it up, Now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love... I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It kind of sounds like a few of the things that he addressed, right? Pride, boasting. (laughs) It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the way of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Do, do, do you get an idea for the context of what Paul's saying? He said, Look. I know what it's like to be childish. I was I was like a child, so, you know. We can you can find a kid back there in children's ministry that's 3 years old, 2 years old when you walk home at the end of the day, they don't say, "Hey, how was your day?" Right? <laughs> I mean, when you're 2 years old, you really think you're the center of the universe, right? Is the word share, it's not a concept to you. The, the idea that you would let go of something for somebody else to play with, that's the, it doesn't enter into your mind. And Paul says, hey, when I was a child, I acted childish. And I think what he's trying to get at with the church is, you're acting childish. It's time to put away childish things and to step into a new way, which is the way of love. Now, can, can love happen apart from relationships? No. <laughs> You, you kind of need people for love to work, right? I want to get to the last passage today, which is going to be a, a bit of a regression. We got to chapter 13. And today, we're, we're going to close with communion. And I suspect if you have spent much time in the church, when it came to communion, they would tell you to examine your heart, Right? and for most of you what that meant because it meant this to me it meant oh man i better start thinking about all the sins that i've done and all the wrong right and you, maybe you were even afraid to take communion right uh, Talked to somebody the other day he's like yeah and i'm just I, i'm afraid to take communion sometimes I, i'm struggling with things and, but i think in light of everything we've been seeing in corinthians i think you're going to get a different understanding about what paul means when he says examine yourself it's not just about me And God. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 11 17 through 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. How would you like to have that word? (laughs) People are better off not coming here. (laughs) (laughs) They were doing good till they came to your church, and it's actually set them back. Paul says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and that to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show that which of you have God's approval. Um, so then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Part of the problem in the Corinthian church was They'd have, the rich people would host the events at their house and a lot of the rich people could show up because they weren't working. They would eat all the food. The, the poor people would show up, the slaves, the women, the, you know, the, the folks on the edges, they would show up and there would be nothing left. They couldn't participate in communion because somebody ate it all, drank it all. <laughs> As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Forever you, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Let me ask you, in light of what we've read in First Corinthians, what is the body of Christ? Y'all. Y'all. y'all are the body of Christ. See, this, what, what Paul's getting at here, it's not some kind of morbid introspection trying to dig up everything in my life of, you know, did, did I have a lustful thought about this person or did I get angry the other day on the road? I mean, you can confess those things too. What Paul's getting at is you're not discerning the body of Christ. You're acting selfish. You think it's just about you. And so you show up at somebody's house, you get drunk, you eat all the bread, I'm having a good time. And and Paul's saying, you're not discerning the body of Christ. So when you come to the table, it's it's not time to get morbidly introspective about you and God, it's time to consider you in the body of Christ. Are things cool between me and Dan? Is there barriers? Is there pride in my relationship? Is there jealousy? There's something I need to talk to him about. Is there somebody that's wronged me here? It's the time to think about my connection with other people that God has called me to be with. Paul says, that's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. I'm inviting you into a journey this year that steps into your natural habitat, which is relationship with others. That, that this year you come out of hiding betwi- behind this me and God kind of relationship. Now, I know some of you are new here and you haven't made a whole lot of relationships with this church, but I'm just asking that, that we would consider our journey together, that we wouldn't go it alone, that we have people in our lives. I thank God I've got people in my life who, who, who are willing to call me up when I'm acting like a jerk and say, Hey, dude, are you all right? Because you ain't acting like you, you, you're, you, 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 there's something going on beneath the surface. And I've got people that do that for me. Some of you <laughs> in here, <laughs> some of you a little too often. No. <laughs> but I'm glad that, that I'm that person in other people's lives too. I've got to tell you, uh, I read this book recently called Fierce Conversations. And it says change happens in our life one fierce conversation at a time. And I can look back. There, there have been a handful of conversations in my life that have changed the course of not only my life but entire churches. Places where I had to get honest with another person about something that they were doing that, 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 that I, 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 it's like I didn't want to address it at all. I was scared to death. They're going to reject me. I'm going to get kicked out. But I came in a spirit of humility. Why? Because I was committed to that body. I wasn't doing this thing, me and God alone. Because if I was, I wouldn't have to think about anybody else. But Paul says, when you come to the table, you consider that you're all a part of this body. You all are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You all have a different part to play. It's not different little clubs. We are all united in Christ. And When you do that at the communion table, it's a powerful thing. As I said, you know, one of my favorite things we did recently was election day communion. Uh, on, on election day back in November, and we just said, You know, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican or anarchist or Green Party, or libertarian, we invite you to come out and we're going to celebrate not the things that divide us in this world, but the thing that unites us, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're going to say that, that He's the Lord of all, and we're going to celebrate that reality that in Jesus Christ. Slave, free, male, female, Jew, Greek. We're we're all brought together under him. That's the amazing news of the gospel. I'm going to start preaching a different message here in a second. (laughs) Faith, why don't you come up? Um, We're going to close today. Uh, I'm going to invite my wife up as well, Dina. Uh, Dina and I are going to... um,